Today's conversation is all about perspective. Michael Murphy toys with his audience's perception with intricate installation art that has to be seen from every angle to be truly understood. Welcome to The Cultured Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Corey, and together we'll journey into the unknown reaches of the art world. Hello, my bebes. I hope you're having a magnificent week, day, month, and year. Whatever it is, I hope it's a beautiful moment. Today, we're talking to Michael Murphy, who's an installation artist who sees the world very differently than most people, and then invites viewers to see the world differently, too, through his perceptual art. You'll see what I mean in a moment when we get into the conversation. But first, let's talk about what's inspiring me this week. So this week, what's inspiring me is... Our immune systems, because I got the flu. (laughs) But I am pretty amazed at what our bodies can do, and I'm super grateful. Uh, I saw this meme on Instagram that said, when you're healthy, you have a thousand wishes, but when you're sick, you only have one wish. And that's exactly how I felt when I had the flu, and everyone around me had the flu too. And this was around Christmas time, and it was like the day after Christmas when I got a fever for three days straight. And All I wanted was to feel better. But incredibly, my body bounced back. And it took a while, but at least I got there. And it also just made me think about how powerful our bodies can be. And I already have an autoimmune disorder. I have celiac disease. But even through that, I'm so grateful of how strong my legs are and how I'm able to combat different viruses or bacteria or, you know, flus, colds, coughs, whatever it is, all of our bodies at every ability level are these incredible symphonies that just work like clockwork. That is inspiring. That shows this sense of order in a chaotic universe. And we've talked about that before, right? That's been my inspiration many episodes ago was this idea of chaos versus order in our universe. And I think an example, a really good example of order are our bodies and just how well they work, even through moments of chaos, like when a virus strikes. All right, y'all. Well, I am feeling so much better and I am feeling very grateful for feeling health right now. And so I hope you're feeling healthy. And if you're not, I'm sending you healing energy and I love you and I hope you feel better. And also, I want to remind you that you can reach out to me with your inspiration. You can email me at info at culturedpodcast.com or DM me at culturedpodcast on Instagram with whatever's inspiring you this week. The reason we have this segment of the podcast that opens up every episode every week is to show just how small an inspiration can be and how you can find inspiration every single day all around you. You just have to look for it and be open to it. But for now, I know what's going to make you feel better. This interview with Michael Murphy. Lego! Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, welcome. Welcome We're to the studio. We're here in your studio. 
You pulled out all the stops for us. We like moved furniture, built a faux little recording studio out of walls that you have built. Yeah. So thank you for having us in your Brooklyn studio. Of course. Thanks for coming. Uh, I'm only sorry that we couldn't cut out all the noise. Uh, if you can hear it in the background, it's pretty I intense mean, here. I mean, no one's perfect, you know, Michael? Cool. And yeah. um, it was disappointing. Uh, but we've gotten over it. Great. <laughs> we've been great. through a lot together. Right. No, I mean, that's you're hearing like literal industry, things being made. There's just a lot going on. We're in East Williamsburg. Yeah, we're in East Williamsburg. We're in the industrial stone section. So they're downstairs cutting granite right now. That's what that sound which is. is. Which is loud. Yeah, okay, so enough about the stone cutters because we're not here for them. We're yeah. here for you. So for those who don't know who you are, tell us who you are and what your art form is. My name is Michael Murphy, I'm a visual artist. I live and work in New York City. I refer to my work as perceptual art for a number of reasons, but the main reason is because the work deals with the viewer's perception. So when you see my work, it may not be what it actually appears to be. So as you spend more time with it, it should transform and your understanding and your perception of the thing should change. Mm-hmm. So it's really fundamentally sculpture, right? Mostly sculpture and installation art, mm-hmm. I guess. Right. Installation art is a type of art that relies heavily on the space that it's in. So a lot of my work will be these particles that are floating in space. And then if you take a photograph of it, 80% of the photograph is the room that the thing is in. So because of that, it's kind of installation art. I've never heard installation art um, defined in just that way. That was like a really nice, concise way to put it. Yeah. Why installation art? I mean, to me, that that seems like perhaps one of the most complicated art forms because you don't just get to prepare this piece of art in a um, sterile environment. That's your isolated environment as an artist. There are mm-hmm. so many different environments, it seems, you would have to work with. Yeah. Is that correct? Like, how do yeah. you approach installation art and why did you choose that as your art form? What I chose was sculpture. Sculpture was this sort of melting pot and all these different art forms that were difficult to define Mm -hmm. went into the category of sculpture and that really appealed to me. Um, Painting has very specific criteria that it has to meet in order to be a painting. Drawing has very specific criteria. Installation art typically falls into the category of sculpture but it's sculptural work that relies on the space around it uh, to be a part of the component. But I picked sculpture because it was the sort of catch-all net for all the different forms of art that, you know, were being invented and created. Were you always someone who liked to work with your hands? Yeah. Ever since I was a tiny, tiny little kid, um, I used to make toys when I was was really young. No, out of what? Uh, Wood mostly. Most of my background is in wood. My father was a bit of a carpenter. He was a plumber. He was a jack-of-all-trades, he would refer to himself as. He was a construction guy, so he had every tool in the world. In Ohio, he uh, had this big garage, and it was filled with wood and tools. And if I wanted something, like I wanted a sword when I was a kid, he's like, I'm not going to buy you a sword. I'll make you one, though. And he would take me out into the garage, and he would make a sword. And I would just like... That's incredible. It's now I have way the, cooler. Now I have the coolest sword. Yeah, and I was in the backyard, you know, chopping everything up, and it was just so special. Yeah, you know, that sword was so special because it was, you know, handmade by my father. It was like incredible. So before we get to to the meat of the matter, which is talking about your art form, 
some of your recent pieces and how you go about, because I love exploring methodology. Let's talk a little bit more about how you landed in this area of life, because what I find fascinating is how little we can plan our lives. Yeah. So like that sense of control and planning is such an illusion. And I imagine when you were young, you weren't like, you know what I'm going to do one day? I feel like I'm going to like invent this whole new way of making art and it's right. going to be perceptual art. Perfect. Right. That'll be my handle on Instagram. Probably not right. that. <laughs> right. Right. So talk to us a little bit about your journey as an artist. Uh, well, like I said, I always made things uh, my entire life. And when I was in college, I was putting myself through undergraduate by doing construction. I had a small construction company. Following my dad's footsteps, um, I had a lot of tools, just like dad did, and uh, went to college with an open mind. And what did you go to school thinking you were going to major in? I wasn't sure. I thought photojournalism because I wanted to travel the world and take photographs of beautiful things, mm. um, which I get to do now, mm -hmm. which is great. <laughs> so I, I went to school thinking I was going to be a photojournalist. I took some photo classes. I took some journalism classes. And I realized that the media is not a place where you can be your own voice, um, where you can be creative, where you can speak your own thoughts. I started working for a, a local newspaper. And the I news would, media, at least, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. I, I started working for a local newspaper. I would go out and do reporting. I would come back. The editor would have at it, and then I would read the article, and it was not what I wrote at all. It was just like some of the key facts, and that really turned me off, and I immediately got out of the media. Also, you know, I'd taken some advertising courses, and it was just horrifying to me. Mm. Um, I really was not into it. What, what horrified you about advertising? Uh, I felt like it was trying to focus on people's weakness, their, their vulnerabilities, and trying to sell goods to them because of their weaknesses, you know, and they're, they're trying to take advantage of you based on, you know, your, your insecurities, mm -hmm. for example, things like that. That there, there is a form of advertising like that. Not all advertising is like that, of course, but a lot of it well, is. Well, I think you can be a fan of marketing and still admit that it's, it's founded on the principles of manipulation. Yeah, yeah, it is a type of manipulation. But I feel like you can also do that in a very genuine way. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. I, I do a lot of advertising, and I'm always telling my clients, like, Let's not do your logo. Let's do something really, really cool, like something that no one's ever seen before, something that just blows people's mind and inspires them and makes them happy and makes them feel good, and then put your name on it. Mm-hmm, exactly, you know, and that's, yes. And that's how, you know, I'm always encouraging my, my clients to advertise. That's what we do with podcast production, same thing. It's, it's like you don't have to spoon feed people how to feel or what to think, like contribute to good energy in this world and then put your name on it. Yep. That's a good thing. Yep, so I started in journalism at Kent State University. Mm. and didn't like it. So I just continued taking these different courses in different areas, and I took a sculpture class uh, with a, a guy named Brinsley Terrell. And literally met this guy, and I was just so blown away. I was like, wow, that's exactly how I want to live my life. And I literally modeled my life after his. What did um, you see in his life that was so appealing? <sighs> he was a university professor. He's just making these, these giant artworks he just like took over the entire university and would create these enormous artworks and they were gonna go in this like high profile public location, you know, as part of the architecture. The news media would show up and be photographing him and be be on the front page of the newspaper. He's like this local celebrity just doing his job, you know, and he's just making things. And uh, he was a classical sculptor. He would carve stone, he would carve salt, he would cast metal, he would model clay, do oh, a lot wow. of a lot of portraits and figures and things like that. So he asked me if I would um, 
he knew that I was in construction. He said, so you know how to build things, right? Like construction. I was like, yeah, totally. He said, will you, will you come out to my barn and see if you can help me restore this 200-year-old bank barn and turn it into a gallery, a sculpture studio, and a drawing studio and all that? Oh, my God. Yeah, so we, for the next five years, uh, worked together. After the first year or so, I started fabricating his sculptures for him, and he started taking on commissions that were based on my capabilities. Like, I was doing a lot of concrete work. What? So Yeah, so we did a lot of concrete projects and things like that. When you say concrete work, what does that mean? So what does it take to fabricate a sculpture like that? Uh, well, you know, it depends on what it is you're making. What we were making was actually a 200-foot-long retaining wall that looked like a bookcase. Um, it was a lot of mold making. So we had, like, 75 molds, 75 different molds to create this serpentine wall. There were shelf molds, there were post molds, there were book molds, there were seat molds, you know. And um, by molds, I mean like, you know, a, a negative shape that's like an ice cube tray that you fill up with concrete and then turn it over and you get positive parts. You're very good at describing things. Am I? I like the ice cube tray thing. That's a gem. It's the simplest mold. Mm-hmm. We all use it. <laughs> yeah. You know. Hey, we're all sculptors, huh? Yeah, exactly. All right, I work with ice. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so you started sculpting. Would you consider yourself at that point in time his apprentice or just like working with him? Was there a title for it? He called me his fabrication technician. And before that, before Kansas State University, I didn't really know what art was. You know, I grew up with a with very little culture. I'd never been to a museum or a gallery. Wow. Um, before, before college, I didn't even know what art was. I just knew I was really good at making things. Yeah. So. How did that affect how you saw yourself working with an artist who was a classical sculptor. I mean, you know, that's such a contrast to not having grown up with exposure to that world. Mm-hmm. I feel like I had immediately discovered my purpose in life. It was really cool. It just clicked for you. Oh, yeah, it just there was no doubt. No doubt God, about that's this, a beautiful this thing. This is it. Yeah. Well, you seem to be someone who knows exactly who they are. So, like, it seems like you're one of those people like me who sort of just, like, popped out of the womb being like, I know who I am. Yeah. <laughs> and, right. and everything that doesn't resonate doesn't resonate hard. You right. know, that's a hard no. Right. Because you've already mentioned hard yeses and hard no's throughout your life. So this was that life-affirming, purpose-affirming hard yes. Yep. With art. Definitely. Yep. And so what happened then? Happened then. I continued to study art at Kent State University and then graduated there and went on to graduate studies at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. Went into the art and technology department. While I was at Kent, digital video was like just being invented basically. You know, Photoshop like had just invented layers. So that's oh. like where technology was. Mm-hmm. So I was um, at the tail end of my, my education at Kent State University, I was working with projection and, and photography and video because it was new and exciting and, you know, just, just coming out. Like video was 720 by 480 mm-hmm. when I was in college. Pretty intense. <laughs> you know, the first editing I did was taping VHS tapes together. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, VHS was still a thing. But see, that's so fun because for someone who likes to work with their hands so much, I mean, even video was a very hands-on process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was. You did get your hands dirty. Yeah, and you know, my video work was I was making sculpture and I was taking photographs and shooting video and then projecting it onto sculptural surfaces that I had created. Wow. And it's interesting, what I was trying to do was give two dimensional images three dimensional properties. Right. So I was doing that with projection and 
you know, with all these like kinetic objects and, you know, moving parts and different planes and all that and projecting onto all this different stuff. But the problem was you always had to put your eyeball right where the projector was in order for it to look perfect, which isn't really possible. So I tried to figure out how to eliminate the projector so that you, when you position your head in this like one perfect spot, everything like lines up and it's Mm -hmm. all perfect. Then you move around and and it breaks apart and animates. Everything's static, but the viewer is moving. Um, so when the viewer moves around it, all the parts begin to move in a relationship to one another. So like Super I consider cool. myself an inventor and I'm always trying to come up with yeah. new ideas. You know, the basis of all of my work is in experimentation. I would, you know, have just get all this tech gear that I could get and point them into each other and point them at each other and away from each other and, you know, like hit them with hammers and just make weird things happen, right? Like that's how mm-hmm. like all of my work has evolved. That's where it all started. I mean, you're essentially still that little boy in Ohio building things and making toys. Yeah, Yeah. I consider my studio like a toy box. Well, Um, yeah, you gave us a tour, me and Dante, our sound engineer, Mm -hmm. and the amount of materials and tools and spray paint cans, like, it's just amazing. And so, what, you just, like, wake up one day and you're like, what if I, and then your little mad scientist brain gets to work? Sometimes I still get to do that, yeah, but not not as much. Um, busy, busy. Yeah. Now, lately, I've just been, like, plugging in all the things that I thought of, like, the first two years that I was doing all the experimentation. I'm still doing most of those things. Um, there's still some, some things that I invented when I first started my experimental process that I haven't yet got to do, mm. that I still want to do. Like, like, I've got what? some really cool ideas. Um... Everyone who listens to this would have to sign an NDA uh, for me to tell you that. That's fine. No, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. We'll do a verbal NDA. Nobody tell anyone. Yeah. No, yeah. Um, you know, we're in such a, our culture has changed so much and become like a share culture that mm. no one cares who the author of things are anymore. Mm-mm. And it's really frustrating for authors and you know, like people who come up with ideas. Okay, good. That was an important disclaimer. Okay, so we were talking about your path to where you are now, and I'm starting to see those dots connect, right? Because you, obviously, there's something about you that's fascinated with perception and perspective. So my question is, is there someone in your life that you grew up around that, like, exhibited, like, different visual abilities? No. um, My grandmother and I used to lie in the grass and look, in the clouds for animals. And that is probably where my interest in like finding images in nature and just random occurrences. Yeah. Right? Like that's pretty much where that comes from. And really like uh you know, I've been like out hiking and I, I thought I saw a woman's face like out in the woods and I'm like, wow, it's so cool, you know. And then what you do is you grab your friend and you're like, hey, come over here, look, look at this like this. And you have to you know, in order to see a face in a tree, you have to think differently. Yeah. Right. You have to allow yourself to, to, to see it. Yes. Because it's really not there. So you have to let your imagination go. So what I'm doing is I'm trying to create these, these situations that are rewarding for viewers. Right. I'm trying to get people to think critically, I'm trying to get them to think outside of the box and see the world a little bit differently. Right. And that's the whole perception part. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everything's all about perception, the way that we perceive things. We can have a conversation and you can walk away thinking it was about something else other than what I thought. You know, we can perceive things differently. Like, for example, my work, people will take photographs of it and everybody's photos look different. 
Mm-hmm. You know, none of them look the same. So that's kind of the way that that person perceived it. You know, they thought it was perfect. It's interesting. My mother um, and Natalie are like the only people who photograph things, and they look exactly like the photographs I take. So it's like you know, we see the world in a similar way. Wow, which is interesting. Oh, that's such a cool like litmus test. Yeah, to see right? how you photograph yeah. one of these sculptures and how yeah. someone, what someone is drawn to, the angle, like the message, right. because that's the thing is that your installations have multiple messages to them, and what someone's drawn right. to, like for instance, sitting outside of the room we're in right now, you have hung up. Is it all right if I describe it? Yeah, of course. You have hung yeah. up. On one side, it spells out news, mm-hmm. and on the other, it spells out fake. Mm-hmm. And me being a silly liberal snowflake, I'm drawn to fake. <laughs> right, right. Um, <laughs> silly good liberal times. snowflake. Yeah, uh, another good example of that is the the gun piece, which uh, mm-hmm. a lot of people have seen. It has like 200 million views or something like that. 200 million? Yeah, it has like over 200 million views. Wow. And, good um, Lord. What does that feel like? Well, that, that piece, uh, it felt okay, but my name wasn't on it. So, like, most of those 200 million posts don't have my name on them. Oh my and I God. fought tooth and nail with the person who organized that show to put my name right underneath the piece so that when everyone filmed it, my name would be there and I would receive credit for it. Yeah. But like I was saying about this whole sharing culture, it goes up, it's got 10 million views, not one single person asks who made it. Right. People are interested in resharing something for what it says about them, like as curators. Right, exactly. Like the fact rather than like, wow, Michael Murphy of at perceptual underscore art, you see what I did there? Is amazing (laughs) because it is Michael Murphy at perceptual underscore art who made this. Right. And from whose mind this came. Right. You're, you're exactly right. It's uh, the curators get celebrated, not the creators. Yes. So yeah. The, so the gun piece was was created around, around the corner from the DNC in 2016. So I had already previously done a map of the United States made out of guns. So I tried to kind of make it more interesting by transforming it into something else. And all I could think of was another gun because the whole thing was all about guns. And it's all about how guns are fetishized. They're like these fetish objects. And I was living in Georgia at the time, and people love their guns. I wanted people to talk about guns. And it was interesting because pro-gun people thought that it was a pro-gun piece. And I received all these requests to put that piece back up at, like, gun shows and inside gun stores. Wow. Yeah, you know. and Perception. uh, And then, you know, anti-gun people thought that it was an anti-gun piece. And they were like, yes, you know, this is the problem with America. There's too many guns in America, you know. And it was just fascinating to me to, to see those two interpretations of the same piece. And I, I love that. You do um, love it. Oh, I love it, yeah. No one was upset about it because mm-hmm. it spoke to them in, in a different way. But it captured, you know, a really broad audience. That's well, why that, it has so many that views. That is interesting because it, it's not like the anti-gun people thought it was pro-gun propaganda and it's not, you know, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So everyone loved it because they saw themselves and their beliefs in it. Yeah. But now we're now meeting days after one project. Can we talk about that? Two of them. Yeah, we just had two pretty two. big projects back to back. The most recent one, which we did, we finished two days ago, was uh, this large three-dimensional mural that was the centerpiece of the after party for the premiere of Michael Bay's new film on Netflix. And what is it like? Um, we're trying to think of a title, and we think it's Bayism, because um, the whole 
the whole idea, it's, it's a little tongue in cheek, but the whole idea was, it was just this giant explosion, right? There's just explosions everywhere, <laughs> cars flying through the air and human bodies like blowing up and flying through the air. So that's what it is. It's, it's all these cutouts of all these different images that are extracted from scenes from the movie. Okay, that's so neat. that's Netflix. And then what was the other project? The other project was this build-out we did for American Express. American Express had this pop-up event that they did in Union Square, at Union Square in Manhattan. And they created an environment and built three restaurants inside the environment. It was for their, their premium members to come and enjoy, you know, a free dinner, uh, hang out, you know, big bar. Three top chefs from New York City set up camp inside that, that mm. space and did their thing. I always thought it paid to have money. It does. <laughs> I think it does. Um, I think you get some perks if you if you got some cash. So we did eight different activations inside this space. We were kind of hired to do the the weird stuff. So this is what's interesting to me. You hated advertising mm-hmm. and criticized it. Mm-hmm. You work for brands. Mm-hmm. And kind of in an agency way, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So, so like, do you ever have moments where you are torn? What goes through your head, at, like, navigating that? I tell a lot of people no. I am working in advertising, but what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to bring fine art into the world of advertising, mm-hmm. right? And I stress to my clients, like, I often say, I'm sorry, that's just not an artwork. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's an ad. That's not an artwork. And, and I'm trying to make art. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to make art in the world of advertising because there's so much money in advertising that it can supply art. Uh, it can it can support artists. Like the church doesn't support artists anymore. Something mm-hmm. has to. I don't want to do galleries because I don't want to give anybody 50% cut, you know, mm-hmm. of the profit from the artwork. So I have to find some way of getting the art funded. And advertising is a great way to do it because, you know, we, we create these artworks and they go out in an ad and it sort of functions as an ad for my brand. If I create some, you know, like the Lexus commercial that was just on television for like a two months or something like that, it yeah. was, you know, there was an ad for what we do as much as it was for Lexus, which is great. I get that. I, I have a podcast production company and I am here. I have a very specific purpose on this earth as I see it. And it is not just to uh, manipulate and make shows that lie or that try to convince you of something for a brand because we do branded podcasts and Mm -hmm. I always have to check myself because also when you're building your own brand or business or your art it's easy to get swept up in revenue and numbers like that because capitalism is a drug Mm -hmm. so I was just wondering how you how you process that and face it and reconcile it and also use it for your own and it sounds like it's a constant I mean, it's a, it is a very intentional thought for you. Yeah. Um, we very carefully try to not work with clients that we think are evil. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I it's hard to, to know. It's hard to know. I try to Sometimes not work. Sometimes it's obvious. I try to not work for governments. I try to oh. um, not work for politicians. I won't work for pharmaceutical companies, mm. which I recently just did because the med that they were making is actually saving lives. So oh, yeah. that was that was the way that I reconciled with that. Oh, there's nuance there. My sister mm-hmm. is a clinical trial manager of Big Pharma. And for the longest time, my hippy-dippy thought was like, y'all are evil, Big Pharma is evil. And then she like helped develop a drug that saved a ton of people from like terrible quality of life with cystic fibrosis. And yeah. I was like... Oh, 
Yeah. Oh, wait, nuance. It's tough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's nuance. Yeah. You know, we talked about experiments. We talked about a massive cultured podcast-wide NDA that we'd have to administer to learn about them. <laughs> but tell us, without an NDA, where, where you're headed, what you're tinkering with, and what you hope to do in the future. Uh, yeah, like I mentioned, I'd like to get back to uh, some of my early work. I invented a bunch of really neat things when I um, first started studying art, and I haven't gotten to execute all of them, and I would really like to do that. I'd like to get back into it. There's even like different branches, different fields. Like what I do now is just one of the things that I came up with. You know, I'd like to get back into, I used to make these interactive video mirrors. You would stand in front of this thing and like all this stuff would be happening in front of you. It was you. Um, there were these real-time effects that would be happening to you. So for example, like one of them, you would stand in front of it and there was a camera filming you and then it was projecting your image onto this kinetic, moving, crazy surface that was all, also three-dimensional. And then your image is being projected onto that and then that's getting refilmed. And then that's what's presented in front of you. So when you stand in front of this thing, like your face is like exploding and going all over the place, you know, and like, you I know. love it. Yeah, it was really cool stuff. I want um, that to be my everyday mirror. <laughs> right. It'd be a little confusing. <laughs> so I had a bunch of those, um, <laughs> you know, each one of those could be its own, could be its own thing. Uh, like one of those branched off and became this, this other body of sound work that I did that was visual, but it was also, you know, sound-based installation. Oh, I love that. Did a lot of sound installation back in the day and I'd like to get back to that. Mm. But it was all based on perception. Like, there were all these weird right. things that happened. The perceptual stuff is like super rewarding. Yeah. You know, there's like something neat about it. It's like, whoa, that's different. Yeah. You know, like I'm trying to create new experiences. Like I want to create an experience you've never had before. Yes. And that was what really, really drove me early on was trying to find those experiences people have never had. Totally unique. It's exciting. And that's, that's what life is. You know, that's the good stuff of life, you mm -hmm. know, having these new experiences. Well, and I feel like it, uh, people don't realize how easy it is to shift us off our like daily perceptions, like how we perceive the world you knock something just a little bit off kilter and all of a sudden everything feels odd, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I think the fact that you toy with that and sound is a is massive part yeah. of that. Just the right sound wave and you're just like a little bit disoriented. Yep. Okay, so where can the cultured crew follow you and find you to keep track of all these things? Instagram at perceptual underscore art. You can go to my website. Easiest way to get there is to go to mmike.com. That's mm. Mike with two M's. Or um, you can just Google perceptual art. <laughs> cool. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it does sound like you're coming full circle. I mean, you want to go back to what you were tinkering with a while ago because you've become so successful with what you're doing now. So yeah. it's very inspiring. Thank you yes. for altering our perception of this space by cool. like making it so homey for us. And thank you to Natalia and Serge and Dante, our engineer. Thanks for coming on the Cultured Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. It's been great. If perception is reality, folks, then my reality is that Michael Murphy is a bad ass, okay? I hope you're as inspired by his work as I am. Until our next journey into the unknown, keep it classy, keep it curious, keep it cultured! Visit culturedpodcast.com for show notes and subscription links. 
I'm the host, Michelle Corey. Ina Garkusha is our fabulous producer. Becca Godwin is our wonderful associate producer. Our sound engineers are Cooper Skinner and Dante Hodge. The Cultured Podcast is a production of my podcast production company, Frequency Media. Frequency Media.